0: It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name's Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We got a good one for you here today as we look to preview UFC 251, Usman versus Masvidal, which will take place on July 11th at the UFC Fight Island facility in Abu Dhabi, uh, UAE. And what an awesome card it's going to be. Before we get to previewing the card, which we always preview from the Uh, First fight on the prelims, all the way up to the main event. Uh, Just some quick housekeeping stuff here. Uh, So we got the Monday show here today. Uh, We figured to be pretty active this week, so we'll probably have a show uh, every every weekday this week. And I've just gotten word, I've just gotten word minutes ago from the Hall of Famer, Reagan Hooverman, that he will be on the show later this week. I don't know if he means... Thursday or Friday, or maybe I don't know. Maybe Wednesday. Maybe Wednesday's later in the week for Reagan. But we will have Reagan Hooverman on the show later in the week uh, to accept his uh, Hall of Fame uh, in induction. Yeah, Hall of Fame induction. English is really hard, uh, especially for uh, a journalism major. Um, but we'll have Reagan Hooverman on the show. That'll be fun. Uh, we'll get him on. We'll reminisce about old times. I'll we'll, we'll pester him about, about about what he's doing uh, nowadays, nowadays, now that he's graduated. So that'll be fun. Uh, I know I've been neglecting the, uh, Mount Rushmore of, of, uh, MMA going division by division. We did the all-time Mount Rushmore and I know it's been like four weeks, uh, since, since we've done one of those, but, uh, maybe we'll do one of those this week. I can't really guarantee. It's not really, not really a needle mover, but it is It is fun. It'll be It'll be fun to reminisce, so maybe we'll throw that in as a segment on one of the shows later in the week, but I don't think we'll make a whole show of it. Um, I don't know. It's just tough because you look at some of the divisions, and I don't know. I mean, heavyweight would be cool to talk about. Light heavyweight would be cool. Um, but I don't know, like bantamweight. I don't know. There's been two good bantamweights of all time. I, I don't know. Like, we have Dominic Cruz, and, and we have... Hen and Barao, okay. Throw in Dillish. I don't know. It gets weird when you go to other divisions, but um, we'll think we'll think about that. Um, again, just just plug in the show. You can find us on Pod MN, uh, YouTube, Podbean, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes. Pretty much any platform. You just look up North Star Sports. You're gonna find the hottest sports takes in the business. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that's all the housekeeping we have to do before we can jump right into this, uh, and we'll start at the beginning of the very long prelims, Uh, I believe they have a, oh, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven fight prelim, uh, which is interesting, that's, that's, uh, quite a lot of prelims, but, uh, some pretty good fights here on here, some, some of the fights, not so much, not so much, uh, and again, we'll blow through some of these very early prelim fights because, quite frankly, I don't I don't give a shit about <laughs> some of these early ones. I did research on most of these fights, but some of these early ones, I'm just not researching. Like the, it's not worth my time to spend 30 seconds to look this these people up. Uh, but for what it's worth, I mean, we're pretty good at, p- at picking prelim fights. Uh, the UFC Fight Night Poirier versus Hooker there were 10 fights on that card we got 8 picks correct so we are just absolutely muy caliente when it comes to our our picks uh in 2020 uh and that one really bumped up our percentages it, it, you know we were sitting at a, a cool 60.7% uh and that 8 of that 8 and 2 brought us up to uh 62.3% so that's what we're currently uh, sitting at here, uh, you can check out our picks. Oh, I have the link somewhere. Uh, NorthstarSports.media/backslash, or is it forward slash? Forward slash picks, and you can check out all of our picks. Maybe at some point we'll get uh, Drew Peterson's picks up there. Uh, he'll he'll have to send those in for me because I'm not really too keen on going back and digging through his picks. But uh, we could put uh, the old the old Pistol PD's picks uh up there. Uh but again without without further ado, we'll we'll hurry up and get through some of these uh early prelim ones. So the first fight here, the first fight ever at Fight Island, which is not really an island, again like I say on every single show, uh, is a bantamweight fight here between Martin Day and Davey Grant. Day is 9 and 3 and Grant is 9 and 4. Uh I've heard of I heard I've heard of Davey Grant before. I've never heard of Martin Day. Uh, Day is the minus 185 favorite. Um, I don't know. Supposedly there's some hype here on, on Martin Day. Again, a nine and three record's not really gonna jump out at you. He's 31 years old. Uh, he lost his UFC debut back in 2018 and he's had three fights canceled, uh, in, in 2019 and the early parts of, uh, 2020 and, I, I don't know. Thirty-one years old. He's got a pretty cool nick, nickname, uh, the Spartan. Although that's a little overplayed. Uh, honestly, some really tough fights they were trying to book him for. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, who just won, I think last month or who fucking knows? Time flies. Maybe it was two months ago where Chris Gutierrez won uh, by by that leg kick KO, which I think is it was something crazy, like the eighth or ninth leg kick KO in UFC history. Uh, they had him scheduled for Benito Lopez, and then. Uh, an interesting fight versus Randy Costa. I'm not going to say that's a tough one uh, just because of the lack of experience for, for Costa. Uh, and then uh, Dave, uh, Davey Grant, I know he's been in the UFC for uh, for a hot minute here. Don't have any hot takes on uh, on dangerous Davey Grant. Uh, he has lost three of his last five going all the way back to 2013. So very, very systemic, these, these losses here. Uh, we'll go Martin Day. I have... No rationale for going for Martin Day other than I don't know. I see a lot of red on the old Tapology page for uh, Davy Grant. Again, I have zero hot sports takes when it comes to these fighters, so uh, I don't feel good about my pick. Just like most of my prelim picks, I don't feel good about them. But just know we're very hot with our picks over the last couple of fights, so I'm probably right with this one. But again, I I wouldn't bet my uh, wouldn't bet my car. That that I was I'd be right on this pick. Uh, another fight I do not care about in the bantamweight division, uh, Vanessa Mello takes on Carol Rosa. Uh, Mello is ten and seven. Rosa is twelve and three. Rosa is the minus two thirty five favorite. Uh, again, y- you find this a lot in the women's divisions. Uh, pretty pretty gaudy uh records, ten and seven. Yeah, that's pretty gaudy. Uh thirty two years old for her. She's on a two fight losing streak, lost to Irene Aldana. Well I mean well, I mean which in fairness that's that's a pretty good loss. And then a decision loss to Tracy Cortez. On the flip side you look at uh Carol Rosa. I believe she's only 26, 25 years old. She's on a three fight winning streak. Uh she won her UFC debut uh last summer over uh, Laura Precipio, uh, by split decision, uh, had a lot of fights canceled in the UFC. I gotta say she was scheduled to fight Melo back in May of 2019, had another fight canceled versus Jan Finney. Uh, and I believe back then that fight with Melo probably was not, probably was not even in the UFC. That probably was, uh, future MMA. I don't know what future MMA is, but, uh, they were supposed to fight in that organization. Uh and then you look in 2019 and 2020. She's had four canceled fights all with Julia Avila. So that's uh that's interesting. Obviously, I'm sure some COVID related stuff going on there uh, when it comes to the cancellations, but uh we'll go with uh we'll go with Carol Rosa uh on this one. Again, I don't even remember watching her fight, but uh, she's young and she's in the UFC and she's the, uh, I guess, minus two thirty five is a moderate favorite. So, uh, you know, maybe, uh, I believe we got the odds from Odds Shark. Uh, so a reputable site. So I don't know. I'm sure they know what they're talking about. So we'll side with uh, the professionals on this one and we'll go Carol Rosa. Uh, and by decision, I guess. I, I don't really pick many women's fights to go anything other than a decision. Um, although I've been burned by that a little bit lately, but we don't we don't factor in the the method. We only factor in who wins. Uh, maybe we'll do that next year, but it'd be too much work to go back and try to figure out all that stuff for like the 140 fights we've predicted for. Uh, now moving on to a fighter who at least I've heard of. Uh, in the heavyweight division, we have Marcin Tibura taking on Maxim Grishin. Uh, Tibura is 18 and six. Grishin. 37 and 2 uh, 30-7-2 not 37 and 2 uh, that'd be pretty impressive. Uh, it's a minus 115 pick'em. Uh and this this is interesting cuz this is a trap fight for the old the old O man here. This is this is a trap fight because I'm looking at Marcin Chabura and he's lost four of his last six. So it's very easy for me to go, well, he just doesn't have it. He's washed, which maybe he is, but, you know, he's taking on a UFC newcomer here. It would be very easy for me to say I'm going to pick against Chibura. Although, in, in fairness to Marshin, uh his his strength of schedule is actually pretty pretty high, even though he does have some losses. So he's got a loss in there to Fabrizio Verdum, Derek Lewis, who I think is number five in the North Star rankings. A win over Stefan Struve uh, in 2018. And then two losses back-to-back to Shamil Abdur akimov and Augusto Sakai, who are both right on the top ten. We actually might have Sakai as number ten. And then Shamil, I think, somewhere like 12 or 13. And then a win over uh, Sergei Spivak uh, in February of this year. So I don't know it's it's really tough and it's it's even more of a trap fight when you look at Maxim Grishin because oh I have it here somewhere it's ridiculous so he's 37 and 2 he's on a 7 fight unbeaten streak he's 18 1 and 2 in his last 21 fights so he he's won a lot of fights recently but the thing is Uh, He he most recently fought in the PFL, and uh, PFL doesn't have super good talent. I do not respect the PFL. I think uh, there are no good fighters in the PFL relative to, you know, the top 15 of, of the UFC. Other than, I guess, Roy well, Roy McDonald for sure, but he hasn't debuted yet, and we'll go... I think Kayla Harrison would do very well in the UFC, but they don't really have a 155 division. But if she could make 145, I mean, well, certainly she'd be in the top 15 at, at you know, women's featherweight because they only have, like, four fighters on the roster at 145. So, um, but I look at his last fight. It was a draw versus uh, Jordan Big Swingin' Johnson, which is a fucking hilarious nickname. That's one of the best nicknames of all time. Right up there with LeVar Big Johnson Jordan, Jordan, Big Swing and Johnson. I, I respect the balls to have that type of, that type of name. Um, and then another draw in the PFL. So I don't know. I, you know, I watched a lot of PFL in like 2018 and 2019 because it was on ESPN Plus on like a random Tuesday night. So I like, I'd just be doing nothing. I think actually a lot of the times it would correspond with. The Contender Series, so I believe it like the Contender Series would be on, and then like right after the PFL was on, so I'd just be watching a whole bunch of lower level MMA on on Tuesdays. Ah, not very impressed by by the fighters in the PFL. So this is a trap fight. They want me to pick. They want me to pick Maxim Grishin, but I'm gonna pick correctly, and I'm gonna go Marcin Tabura, because the strength of of schedule for Grishin very very low. So I, I don't get distracted by the, the tremendous amount of wins he has, especially recently, because I, I realize that's sea level competition. At least Chibura, for whatever you can say about him, you know what I mean? I don't have a whole bunch of nice, glowing things to say about Chibura, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, at least he's been in the UFC uh, over, over the last few years and, and actually picked up uh, actually picked up some wins. Um, I guess you know I'm feeling kind of funky. I'm feeling kind of Ben Askreny. We'll, we'll go by decision. Um, I'm not even gonna pick Marcin to win by uh by knockout or anything. We'll just go decision, which is a little, a little weird for heavyweight, but uh I don't know, it's just kind of a gut feeling. We'll we'll go Marcin Shibora, uh by decision. Uh, we have a really interesting fight here on the prelims, uh, right smack dab in the middle, Leonardo Santos taking on Roman Bogotov. Uh, Santos is 17-3-1. Bogatov is 10-0. And th- this is very interesting. This is going to be a very good fight. I can promise you that much. So, Leonardo Santos is on a 11-fight unbeaten streak. He is 6-0-1 in his last seven. And when you pull up the old the old Tapperuni the old tapology... Uh, sheet here uh, I believe back in I believe back in 2015 he had a win over Kevin Lee uh, I believe I believe that's correct now this is a guy who doesn't fight very often so this is a problem for Santos because you look at 11 fight unbeaten streak uh, and I think he's something like 7 0 one in the UFC so he had a drawback with Norman Park in uh, March of 2014 like you look at the wins he has, ah, they're actually like really, really solid. None of them were ranked at the time, but this is just a guy where, man, he's had so many canceled bouts. Where if this guy could just stay active and string together some wins, he might. He might. He's. Uh, he, this could be a top five lightweight fighter. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to get too ridiculous here, but you know, this is a guy who all he does is win, and and, and you know just through inactivity you know it's really hard to climb the rankings especially in the most stacked division so you know this is a guy who has a win over uh Efren Escudero which okay I'm not saying that's the greatest win of all time but it was a guy who won the ultimate fighter a win over uh Rocco Martin you know and we see what he's done I mean uh, he's losing more fights than he's winning these days but you know point being he's been in fights with Damian Maya. he's been in fights with um Oh man, who did he? He just fought somebody. Um, man, why is that escaping me? Oh, Neil Magny, that's right. He fought uh, Neil Magny uh, at UFC two hundred and fifty. You know, so it, it, it's a guy who's who's been in there. And then obviously he knocked out. He knocked out Kevin Lee. Uh, now, granted, that was you know a little before Kevin Lee's time. You know, before he came into his own. But really, that was December of two thousand and fifteen. I believe, I believe September no October twenty seventeen, or October twenty sixteen. Uh, no, 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 twenty seventeen. Lee Lee fought Tony Ferguson for the interim belt. So you know, just a couple of years later, you know, a year and some change, you know, he's out there, he's out there fighting for a championship. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll give it to you. That was Kevin Lee before he became Kevin Lee. But, um. You know, and then knocked out Stevie Ray in the first round, so uh, it's it's really tough not to side with Santos because all this guy does is win, but he's getting up there in age, and and injuries or, or cancellations have really plagued him. Holy smokes, he's forty years old. I thought he was I thought he was mid thirties. No, okay, he's forty years old. So, I mean, his. His hopes of, of doing whatever he wants to do in the UFC are, are pretty much dead and gone at this point. But he'll still be a he'll still be somebody's Huckleberry uh, in that octagon. Still a very very tough uh, fighter. And then Roman Bogatov. I'm not gonna pretend I know a whole lot about this guy other than what I've I've researched before I uh, came on the podcast. But you know, 29 years old, uh, fights out of Russia. So he's had three amateur fights. He's won all of his amateur fights. And he's 10-0, uh, or excuse me, 9-0 uh, professionally. Oh, no, 10-0. Oh, that's weird. The whole setup's odd. Okay, yeah, so 10-0. And, again, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about this guy other than just looking. He's packed in 10 fights. So he became a pro in March of 2016. So he's relatively new to to professional mixed martial arts, but he's been stacking all these wins together. And again, this is Russia. This is an M1. So it's not the greatest competition of all time. We know how Russians like to pad their pad their records. But he has a lot of finishes. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Seven finishes in in ten victories. So, you know, for what it's worth, this is not a guy going to decisions. Uh, and and again, you know, like you look at Khabib Nurmagomedov's record when he came into the UFC, he was 15-0. and 0. And you go back and you look at who he fought, like he fought a lot of fighters who were like 10 and 12 or something, you know, just bums. But honestly, you know, you you look at Bogutov, uh, he's fighting a lot of fighters with winning records uh, over there in, in Russia for his last you know, six fights. I mean, they're guys with winning records, 9-3, and 7-0, and 22-4, 20-5, 21-7. So, you know, for what it's worth, these are not just tin cans he's getting fed to, albeit, obviously, C-level competition because it's, it's M1. Th- this is tough. Honestly, this might be... I think this will be the toughest fight for me to pick. I feel pretty confident about, uh, about the rest of my picks. But, man... And again, I have the right to change my pick up until the minute they throw a punch in the octagon. So, this is why you got to follow me on Twitter, because if, you know, I might wake up on Saturday and, you know, just go, "Eh, I'm not really feeling this. I'd like to change my mind. But for now, I'm going to go with Leonardo Santos. I know he's 40, I know he's getting older, but man, all he does is win. You know what I mean? Until I see that fall off, which very, very likely could be this fight. Until I see the fall off, I just can't go against Santos. You know what I mean? It would just be against reality. He's just a, he's a winner. He's a winner. Uh, And he is the minus 185 favorite, but I will say this is probably going to be the closest fight in my mind to pick. So, you know, Bogatov might have a great career in the UFC, but I don't know. I got to go with, got to go with Santos on this one. Uh, moving on here on the prelims, we have a featherweight fight here between Makwan Amir Khani, and Danny Henry. Amir Khani's 15 15-4. Danny Henry is 12-3. and three. Maquan is the minus 200 favorite. Uh, Maquan, Amir Khani, 5-2 in the UFC. And the two losses he has are uh, very solid losses. Not what you ever want to hear, but if you're going to lose, I guess... Having them be solid losses are, are better than just losing to nobodies, but lost a split decision back in 2017 to Arnold Allen, who's gone on quite the streak, um, you know, slowly moving up the rankings there at featherweight, and then a uh, TKO loss to Shane Burgos back at UFC 244. Um, but five and two, and again, I, I forgot. Uh, you know, I went back and watched the the video. I forgot. Maquan has like one of the fastest finishes in the UFC. Uh, that eight-second knockout at at uh, UFC on Fox fourteen versus Andy Ogle, the old the old guy from uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Eight seconds, he knocked him out. I I had completely forgot about that. Maquan's a, Maquan's a pretty tough fighter. Uh, a couple of split decisions could have gone either way. He also had a split decision win with uh, Jason Knight. Uh, who is one, one tough bastard. Uh, Danny Henry, uh, I'm not going to pretend to know know a whole lot about him. I do remember him, uh, because he was the guy who Dan Ige beat, um, in London. I believe that was, uh, UFC London. Was it now? Was it headlined? Oh, wow. That was the one headlined by Till and Mosfadal. That's funny. Um, but I, I do remember him taking on Ige cause that was the first time I'd, I'd ever seen Dan Ige fight. Um, but I don't know, this is a this is a guy who's killed a couple of lesser hype trains in the UFC. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you guys and make it seem like, oh, these were championship guys. He knocked off their hype train, but you know, he handed Daniel Tamer, his first loss in the UFC. And he also handed Hakeem Dabudu his first loss in the UFC. So Uh, You know, I don't know. It's really tough to gauge where Danny Henry is uh, by my calculations just because I think really, really highly of Dan Ige. Um, You know what I mean? So I I don't really knock Danny Henry for having a loss to uh, Ige. And I don't know. This one I kind of struggle with as well. Um, I really, really want to go with Mr. Finland on this one. Ah, this is really, th- but I'm gonna go Danny Henry. I'm gonna go Danny Henry. Uh, again, a right to change my opinion up until, uh, the the fight, but I don't know. I'm gonna go with the the slight underdog, I guess potentially moderate underdog when you talk about minus two hundred, although not a not a crazy underdog. But I'm gonna go Danny Henry. I I don't know, man. I I I just don't know. I got a feeling with Danny Henry. Uh, he he definitely didn't get to show what he had in that fight versus Ige because he choked him out pretty, pretty early. Um, I don't know. I I just think he'll be hungry because that's honestly quite the layoff. Um, I mean, that's almost a year and a half layoff. Um, So I I don't know. We'll go with uh, Danny Henry. We'll go with the old, I believe, Scotsman. Yep, the old Scotsman. Danny the Hatchet Henry from Edinburgh. So we'll go we'll go Danny Henry on this one. Although again, I don't know, I don't feel great about it, but you know, I, I got to get these picks right. I, I really do, you know. I've been seeing my winning percentage just absolutely soar and uh I don't know, man, I can't I can't stand another another 6 and 6 performance. Uh, moving on here to the second to last fight on the prelims. We have Alessio Zaleski dos Santos taking on Muslim uh, Salakov, uh, ZDS is twenty-two and six. Salikov is sixteen and two. Uh, I guess Alessio is the favorite. It's the it's the old minus one ten minus one twenty pick 'em, but the odds aren't the same. So how is it a pick 'em? Um, I think Zaleski dos Santos is criminally underrated. I think he's criminally underrated. He's eight and two in the UFC. He's won eight of his last nine. Uh, but again, Salikov sixteen and two. That's a pretty, you know, that record's not too shabby either. Uh, you know what I mean? So uh, this is a this is a tough one. He also has two TKOs in his last uh, three wins, and he's on a three fight uh, winning streak. Uh, this one is t- this one's tough. Uh, I'm, but I'm gonna go with Alessio Zaleski Dos Santos on this one. He had that rebound win earlier this year versus Alexei Konchenko. Um I don't know, it's it's tough for him because he's never really fought anybody who was ranked. Uh but he had he had quite the streak. So he loses his UFC debut by split decision to Nicholas Dalby. Um Oh actually he did, he did beat someone who eventually became ranked. Um but not at the time obviously. So he goes on a 1 2 3 4 5 6 fight win streak. Wins over Omari Akhmetov, Keita Nakamura, Lyman Good, Max Griffin, Sean Strickland, Luigi Venjamini, and Curtis Millinder. I was really impressed. I remember watching his fight with Curtis Millinder. I believe that was also the uh, till uh fight. Um, but I don't know. But again, you look at those names, and those are all pretty solid names. But they're not household names. They're not ranked guys. They're just really good unranked fighters in a really deep division, and then he takes on uh, Jianliang Li. Weird. I don't think I've ever seen it like that. Li Jianling, I guess maybe that's the American version of how you say it. Uh, but either way, he lost to him on that card that was headlined by Andrade and Zhang, um, and that was tough. I don't know. He just kind of he just kind of gassed out in that fight, by my recollection, and then got knocked out in the third round uh, pretty late. So, I don't know, I guess I just chalked that up to a fluke performance. Uh, I've never really seen him have a bad performance in the UFC, other than that, and yeah, I, I just don't know, maybe maybe he was sick or something. But again, Salikov's nobody's punk, you know, this this is also a a very solid fighter, but uh, he's up there in, in age a little bit, 36 years old. Um, and again, a couple of nice wins. You know, a win over Melvin Gallard. A win over Nordin Tlaib. Um, knocked him out actually really early really early in that fight. Um, and then he, he might have had that co-made event versus Loriano Staropoli. Um, I forget what card that was on. Uh, but we'll, we'll go uh, ZDS on this one. The uh, minus 110 pick'em. Uh, so this leads us here to the... Uh, main event of the prelims. It is former light heavyweight title challenger Volkan Uzdemir taking on former Ryzen light heavyweight champion Yuri Prochaska. It's going to get some, going to take some time getting used to. Uh, 17 and four record for Uzdemir, 26-3 and one for Prochaska. That's pretty impressive. Um, although again, obviously outside of the UFC. Uzdemir is the minus 170 favorite, uh, and I love this one. I love this fight. So we'll take a look at the old North Star Sports rankings in the light heavyweight division. Volkan Uzdemir still is currently the number seven ranked uh, light heavyweight, and you can tell the UFC has very, very high expectations for Pochaska because they're having him debut against Uzdemir. You know, for whatever you think about Uzdemir, I think he's back. You know, he had that weird three fight skin, and then, you know, now he's on a two fight winning streak. Um he he's a real tough fighter. He's a real tough fighter. I don't think he's as scary as he was on his way up to the title, you know, where he had those two really quick knockouts. Um but he he's still he's still a good fighter. He's still actually really young. He's still only like thirty two. But you can tell they have very high expectations for Pochaska. I mean because in, in Northstar's book, and I think also in the UFC's book, in fairness, if he... So, if Yuri beats Vulcan, he's number seven because you beat the number seven guy. So, this is a guy who's firmly entrenched in the top ten, borderline top five, with just one win in the UFC if he can get it done. You know, in the light heavyweight division's a little awkward. I think we all probably think Reyes is going to be next in line, but... Listen, the UFC has proven, with Gilbert Burns getting the title shot uh, over Masvidal, and then obviously we know what happens after that, you know, but the UFC has proven, listen, if you don't negotiate correct with us, yeah, fuck you, we're, we're, we're moving on, there's always other fights to make, so I think Reyes is next in line, I think the UFC probably wants to make that fight, but if Reyes asks for a dollar more than what the UFC is willing to pay for, they'll tell, they'll tell Reyes to sit sit down on the fucking curb. You know what I mean? So, um, obviously, obviously there's other guys ahead of Prochaska who, you know, if he wins would only have one win in the UFC, but you know, listen, he's only, he's only two to three wins away from a title shot in the UFC. You know, you beat Ujdemir, maybe you beat a Corey Anderson and then you beat a Thiago Santos and now you're facing John Jones. Um, so that, that's, you know, a pretty interesting proposition for, uh, Prochaska, um, Again, you look at you look at a guy like Uzdemir, um, I don't know, it's kind of been tough sledding for this guy after his loss uh in early twenty eighteen to Daniel Cormier. Um I don't know. Oh, he's only thirty. That's he's even younger than I thought. So, you know, this is still a guy who I mean, honestly, we don't really see UFC fighters or MMA fighters really come into their prime until, you know, mid thirties, uh early to mid thirties. So, I don't know. Maybe uh, Volkan has another uh, title run in him. Certainly young enough. Uh, But, you know, this guy was fucking scary. Like, back in 2017. Ah, he's pretty scary. Like, uh, I don't know who the 2017 Newcomer of the Year was. But, I don't know. Volkan Uzdemir had to be right up there. So, he comes into the UFC 11-1. He wins a split decision in February of 2017 over Ovin St. Prue, brutally knocks out Misha Surkinov in 28 seconds um, in May, and then knocks out Jimmy Manoa in 22 seconds uh, at UFC 214, headlined by Cormier and Jones. Um, and that was obviously a big win because Manoa was highly ranked, 17-2 and at the time. You know, and Manawa was there as the backup for John Jones. So, you know, the UFC thought very highly of Jimmy. Um, Then he, he, you know, he gets absolutely, absolutely worked by uh, DC. Uh, Gets choked out by Anthony Smith, which was really his coming out party. Uh, I believe that was, I believe that was the one after the Shogun fight. And then he lost that split decision to Dominic Reyes, which I think he won. I'm trying to remember, again... I don't remember the, the fight between Dominic Reyes and Volkan Uzdemir... You know, like, like it was yesterday. But I do remember thinking... I, I believe I thought Uzdemir won that fight. Um, so, you know, a, a tough stretch for him. But then he comes back, knocks out Alir Latifi... And then gets a split decision win over Alexander Rakic... Who was coming off of a first-round murder... First-round murder over Jimmy Manoa with that head kick. Um... So, you know, I, I don't really know what a win over Pochaska does for him rankings-wise because you beat a guy who's unranked. Now, I, I'm fair, so I would probably move... Again, it's so tough to say because rankings are so contextual. But, you know, a, a win over Pochaska, yeah, we, we would probably move him up in the rankings. I don't know. He might only move up one spot in, in the the rankings, uh, you know what I mean, in the UFC rankings, if at all, because I, I just don't... I don't really know what a win over Prochaska does for you. I mean, it's a win over a guy who was just recently a champion in a, in, a, in a major organization, but, you know, outside of that, it's, it's I don't know, kind of debatable what that would actually do for you. Uh, I think there's more on the more to gain here uh, for uh, Prochaska. And I don't know, you know, I was watching some of his highlight tape um, a couple of weeks ago, and again, it's, it's just his highlight tape. You know, it's not, you know, his entire tape, but you know, 27 years old, six foot four on a, on a 10 fight winning streak. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, he, he hasn't lost since 2015 where he got knocked out by, uh, King Mo the wall, but his wins, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's some guys you, you would, you've probably heard of, you know what I mean? Like Brandon Halsey, um, who I believe was the former Bellator middleweight champion at some point, you know, he, he avenged that loss over, uh, King Lawal. Uh, he, he knocked out Fabio Maldonado in the first round. He knocked out, most recently in December, he knocked out uh, CB Dalloway. So again, you know, he, he's not beaten, you know, f- top five contenders, but you know, these are guys that you'd probably recognize. So it'll be a, a very good litmus test here for Yuri. Uh, I'm going to go Yuri Prochaska, and I'll say second round TKO. Uh, it's tough to go against Volkan because I, I do think he's he's kind of regrouped after that three-fight losing streak, um, but I, I will go Yuri Prochaska by second round TKO, which leads us here to the main card here, the main card opener, uh, a flyweight bout between Paige Van Zandt and Amanda Hibas. Van Zant is eight and four. Hebus is nine and one. uh Hebus is the minus 850 favorite. that is ooh boy that's pretty fucking high. minus 850 is pretty high. I was shocked to to see that on Oddshark. Shark. Um, that's that's really I don't think it's unfair. I think Hebus for sure is the heavy favorite if you are asking me to make odds. But 850, that's a little that's a little high. Um, I'm a big fan of Amanda Hebus. I think she's going to be a problem. Um, I'm going to check the rankings here super quick. I don't know if she's ranked. Um, oh, wow, so she is ranked. She's the number 11 strawweight in uh, North Star Sports rankings. So, you know, it went over Van Zant. Yeah, it probably puts you in the top 10, maybe number 10. Uh, but again, it's so contextual. I can't really say what the moves will be. You know, sitting here right now, um, I don't know. This is this is a really mean fight for Paige VanZant. Uh, I gotta say, this is this is really mean. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, coming off of you know, two or three arm surgeries, and props to Paige VanZant. She's a gamer. You know what I mean? Like that's. That's one thing you gotta say. Like credit to you, you're coming in against, you know, a borderline top ten opponent who a lot of people think could be a future champion. You know, but uh, I I think this is gonna be way too much for Paige VanZant. Um, she was supposed to fight her back in March. Uh, and and you know, fair enough to Paige VanZant because she doesn't really take too many easy fights. Uh, but she has lost three of her last five losses to Nami Yunus, Watterson, and Rose Clark. Wins over Beck Rawling, who does not belong in the UFC. Way more losses in the UFC than wins. And a win over Rachel Ostevich, who absolutely does not belong in the UFC. Amanda Hebus, on the other hand, I believe she's 3-0 and uh, in the UFC. She's only 26. Very good BJJ skills. Four-fight winning streak. Uh. The infamous UFC Minneapolis card. I watched her choke out Amanda. Or excuse me. I watched her choke out Emily Whitmire. Uh, she went on to beat Mackenzie Dern, uh, which I think shocked a lot of people. Uh, not so much people in the know, uh, because they they know Hebus is really good at uh, BJJ as well. And then a win over uh, Random Marcos. I mean, I guess we could call Marcos a staple of the strawweight division over the last couple of years, you know, kind of flip-flops wins and losses, obviously, with a 10-7-1 record. But, um, you know, I think Hebus. it's only a matter of time before she fights for a title fight, um, fights in a title fight. The only thing is, a win over Paige Van Zant is very good for publicity, but it doesn't really make any sense rankings-wise, you know what I mean? Paige Van Zant is unranked in, uh, in North Star Sports rankings. She might be ranked in UFC rankings, maybe like 15, but it's more of a celebrity fight for Hebus, which I think she's going to absolutely, uh, absolutely dominate. So we will go Hebus, and we'll say she finishes her by second round submission. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to be mean and say armbar, but a second round submission. Um, I, I think this is a huge, huge mismatch. Um. I'm just now realizing that... I think we skipped a fight on the prelims. We will absolutely uh, just blow through this one. But we, I, I'm realizing we did miss one. It was an, a, an irrelevant uh, flyweight fight between uh, Zalgus, Zuma Gulov, and Haulian Paiva. Uh, Zuma uh is 13-3. and three. Uh, he does fight from the glorious Kazakhstan, which is is pretty cool. Uh, he's on a four fight winning streak, I believe I have the odds somewhere. Uh, we have Piva, uh, Odd Shark's not we. Odd Shark has Piva as the minus one eighty five favorite. Uh, we look over at Piva, pretty good record nineteen and three, although you know in the flyweight division, I'm not very impressed. Only twenty four years old, he's been in the UFC for. Uh, for a little bit. Uh, you know, he had a fight on the Contender Series, split decision loss to Kara France, a loss to Hagirio Bonturin, uh but he got back on track with a win over Mark De La Rosa. I do not in the slightest care about this fight. We don't even have rankings for flyweights uh, at North Star Sports, but we'll go Holly and Paiva um, by decision for no other reason than he's been in the UFC for longer and he's younger. Um, I... Genuinely, genuinely, do not care about that fight. Um, now getting back here to the the real meat of the card here on the main event. Uh, we have in the strawweight division. Uh, actually, not I'm just realizing realizing now that's notable because Hebus is 11 at strawweight and she's moving up to 125. So actually, that's very interesting. You know, 125 is wide open. We've seen how high. Uh, people who just get one win in strawweight, um, or in, in flyweight, excuse me, uh, rocket up the the rankings. You know, look at where Calvillo is. Look at, you know, look at uh, Lauren Murphy. You know, she wins a couple of fights, and now she's very, very highly ranked. Um, so that's my last thing on that. Um, now for a true strawweight fight, Jessica Andrade taking on Rose Namajunas. Andrade is 20-7, and Namajunas. Is eight and four. Nama Yunus is the minus 210 favorite. Uh, both former champions, they both fought back in May of 2019 at UFC 237, where Andraj beat Nama Yunus by pretty much her nickname. She beat her by her nickname, Bate Estaca, which I believe means pile driver in uh, Portuguese. Um, and that's pretty apt. I mean, I don't know what they officially put it in the books as, but I mean, that's a pile driver if I've if I've ever seen one, that's that's a pile driver. Uh, Andraj lost the belt to Wei Li in China three months later uh, on that Shenzhen card in August. Uh, really a lot of experience. 27 fights versus 11 fights. Now Nami Yunus has a lot of experience of those 12 fights at the highest level. You know, she fought for the inaugural strawweight belt versus Carla Esparza, I want to say, in December of 2013. I believe that's when they crowned a strawweight champion. Either way, it's irrelevant. Somewhere around that time frame. Um, But I don't know. This is a tough one to pick because you go back and you watch the first fight. Nami Yunus was dominating for the first... Round and a half. Now, when did the fight officially end? I want to say it was midway through the second round. Um, yep, yeah, midway through the second round. So, Nami Yunus was winning that fight for the first seven minutes. But it doesn't matter if you win the fights for the first seven minutes when you win the fight for the last 15 seconds. And the, that 15-second that stretch involves you getting plopped on your bald head. Um, so, I don't know. This is really tough. Um, When you look at somebody like Rose Namayunas, I look at a very frazzled fighter at times. Uh, I'm not going to say weak because obviously she was a champion, but just mentally can get kind of frazzled. You know what I mean? That's why I didn't really think it was a good idea even before the fight happened. And a lot of people had this take, so I'm not try- trying to make it sound like I'm a fucking brilliant psychologist here or or whatever, but I thought it was a really bad idea for her to fight Jessica Andrade, who's a Brazilian in Rio de Janeiro. I thought that was a really bad idea. You know what I mean? Rose, we saw with the, with the, um, (coughs) excuse me. We saw with the bus incident at UFC 223, which fair enough, man. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be frazzled if, you know, a fucking dolly comes an inch away from knocking your block off. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know. You know, when Nama Yunus is on, she's brilliant. You know what I mean? When she's on, she's beating Joanna Jacek twice in her prime. But when she's off, you know, she just gets dropped on her head. You know, it, it was really telling when she lost the belt, when she said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad I lost because now the pressure's off my shoulder. That, to me, sounds like someone who should retire. Now, again, you know, you guys know how I feel about retirements. Like, I'll never tell anyone they have to retire. I'll never even tell BJ Penn they have to retire because it's not, it's not my fucking body. I don't give a shit if you get knocked out 25 times in a row. It's not my body. If you ask me my opinion, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Yeah, you probably should retire, you know, if, if you're BJ Penn. But I'm not going to, I'm not fucking Mao Zedong. I'm not a dictator. I can't mandate that you can't fight, but I can give my opinion, you know. For whatever it's worth, which is, it's clearly not worth fucking anything when it comes to telling someone to retire. But my opinion is, Ro should retire. It really seems like she doesn't want to be there, or at least she doesn't fully want to be there. And if you don't fully want to be in a cage fight, okay, that's, I mean, if you don't want to fully work as a bank accountant, if that's a thing, I don't know, just an accountant. If you don't want to fully work as an accountant, okay, there's no harm. You might do your job sloppily. You're not going to get fucking knocked out. You know what I mean? But if, you, if you're not 100% wanting to be in, in the cage, ah, yeah, that's probably not the greatest strategy of all time. Uh, again, I don't give a shit. I don't care. It's not my body. But um, I think she should retire. That, that's very, very, very telling. Um, I don't think she has three fights left in her, um, if that. But I, I, I would almost guarantee hot sports take of the day that Rose does not have three fights left in her. Um, But but I don't know. It's just, it's just so tough. And then, you know, she's mentally someone who gets easily frazzled. So I would imagine... I would imagine some fighters, if if a fighter beat them in the first fight, they, they probably don't give a shit. They probably don't care. They're like, oh, whatever. I'm going to get you next time. I would imagine if anyone were to get frazzled by someone having beaten them prior, especially by vicious KO, it's probably Rose Nami Yunus. You know what I mean? So, yeah, she was she was winning that fight. I don't know. You know, I was coming into this saying I, I probably would, before I started this podcast, I was thinking I'd probably pick Nami Yunus. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. She's, she's on or she's off. And I'm going to go with andraj just because she knocked her out you know, 14 months ago, Uh, this is uh, Rose's first fight back, which is interesting, you know, because Andrade lost the belt. Like, it's very rare. It's a rematch for the title that was lost immediately by Andrade, which, you know, is kind of interesting. But I'm going to go Andrade. She just has the experience. I know that she was getting beaten for the first seven minutes. I I don't care. What good did that do for Rose that she won the first seven minutes? Is that a cool mental victory? Okay, you still lost the fight. You still got brutally knocked out. You could win 14 minutes of the fight, but if you get knocked out in the 15th minute, then it doesn't really matter. It's all just conjecture. It's all just, you know, whatever, man. So um, I'll go on Andrade just because I, I would assume Rose. And again, you know, having to go to Abu Dhabi, having to do all this COVID testing and all this stuff, you know, just the the more factors, the more variables you bring into a fight with Rose Namajunas, the more things that can go wrong. I probably would tend to say would work more against Namajunas than they would would against Andrade, just because I don't I don't think she's entirely mentally there when it comes to the mindset of someone who you know is going to be in a fucking cage fight where you could just absolutely get your your block knocked off. Um. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I will go by finish. I'm not going to say submission. I'm not going to say knockout. Um, but I do think this one doesn't go to a decision. I don't know. It would be really fucking weird if Andrade beat Nami Yunus by decision. Although, you know, obviously crazier things have happened. Um, but we'll, we'll go by finish. Probably, we'll say in the second round again. Uh, maybe third round. I don't think she just... I don't think Andrade just blitzes her and finishes her, you know, in, in two minutes. So... Um, although who, honestly, who knows? Cause you know, she was really going for it with Weili Zhang, you know, i you know, she was on the losing end of, of that one. Uh, moving on here to the featured bout on the main card, uh, the first title fight of the evening. It's a bantamweight title fight here between, uh, Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo. Jan is 14 and one. Aldo is 28 and six it's for the vacant UFC bantamweight championship left behind by uh, Henry Cejudo. Jan is the minus 250 favorite. Uh, and this one, this one's interesting. This one's tough. Uh, so, spoiler alert, or not really, since we're already here, we're spoiling you guys because we're already spoiled by having three title fights here at 251. Um, and and having the walter title saved by mosferal but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we're really really spoiled. So North Star Sports is going to is going to spoil you guys because we have three lock of the weeks. Not just one. Sometimes we've done two. We're doing three lock of the weeks and they're all going to be for title fights. We're not picking oh Amanda Hebus is our lock of the week. No 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 no. She's the minus 850 favorite. That's not special. That's not impressive to pick a lock of the week that's a minus eight fifty favorite. You know what I mean? Like, so full disclosure. Like when I do lock of the week, I I try to go with fighters who I really think are gonna win, not necessarily just the heaviest favorite on the card, because that's not really that's not really an original thought. That's not really that creative. That's not it's not a hot sports take for me to for me to say, you know, that that a minus eight fifty favorite is gonna win. So we're doing three lock of the weeks. All for championship fights, and spoiler alert, all of the championship fights, the biggest favorite on the card is a minus, or for the title fights, is a minus 280, and I'll get to it in a minute. So it's not like any of these guys fighting for belts who are favorites. It's not like, oh, they're the minus 500 favorite. No, I mean, they're just a moderate favorite. So, and it's a bit of a parlay too, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's three individual lock of the weeks, but they kind of are all packaged together, you know, into one into one grand slam of a parlay. Um, so I'll, I'll get to it right here. My first lock of the week, Piotr Jan beats Jose Aldo for the vacant bantamweight title. Everybody knows about Aldo. You know what I mean? It's kind of redundant to go over it, but, you know, what is he? He's like the, uh, I guess, technically two-time featherweight champion. I don't know how that works with interim belts. Uh, you know, but bottom line, he's zero one in bantamweight, which fair enough, man. Because I thought I thought he won that fight, and obviously Dana did, and obviously the matchmakers did, which is why he's here fighting uh, for the title. Well, actually, Cejudo is the reason why he's here fighting for the title. But you know, fair enough, man. This is a this is a guy who's been a, a really elite fighter. Um, you know, although as crazy as this sounds, you know, I looked up his record, and this is crazy. Uh, it, it just kind of sneaks up on you. He's lost five of his last eight. Like, that's really crazy. And again, you know, his losses were against really, really good fighters. But that's just crazy, man. You know what I mean? So the loss to McGregor comes back and beats Edgar. Two losses to Holloway. Two wins over Stevens and Moicano. And then a loss to Volkanovski and a loss to Marlon Marais, which, again, I thought he won. Um, but that's that's crazy. That's That's kind of interesting for giving this guy a title shot. I, I think he probably should have won one or two more fights at Bantamweight uh, before he got a title shot. You know what I mean? I really truly believe especially after the win over Sandhagen that this needs to be Aljamain Sterling <coughs> excuse me I really think this needs to be Aljamain Sterling fighting Piotr Jan um, it's it's kind of a but the, the beauty is The beauty is, Piotr Jan, he would fight for the title no matter what, you know what I mean? So whether or not you want to say it's Aldo in there, or Sterling, or any of these other guys, it's appropriate that Jan is there, and it's kind of celebrity fighter-ish to have Aldo be in there fighting for the title, but it's irrelevant because Jan's going to win. You know what I mean? So it, it doesn't matter. You could you can bitch and moan about Aldo being in there and whether or not it's valid or not. And I I'd say it's somewhere in the middle. But bottom line, Piotr Jan's gonna win. So who gives a shit? And then we're gonna get Jan versus Sterling. Hopefully, um, I don't know. Maybe on like the end of the year card. You know what I mean? In December or who knows? I guess it depends on how much damage Jan uh, takes in this fight. Uh, but again, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, We don't really see a whole lot of leg kicks from Aldo, whereas we used to see a lot of leg kicks from Aldo back in the day. Um, I don't know. I was very impressed when he made bantamweight. Uh, I'll be pretty impressed when he makes bantamweight, if he makes bantamweight, uh, in a couple of days, um, especially in, in a fucking quarantine. But, you know, Piotr Jan, he's just as good of a boxer as Aldo. If not, maybe better at this point. You know, maybe Aldo was better in his prime, but... You know, obviously, he's he's not currently in his prime. Uh, but Jan, on a nine-fight winning streak, and this is just a special guy. This was a guy who I remember watch, uh, watching making his UFC debut versus Toruto Ishihara. Now, Ishihara is a bum. This is a guy with a very bad record. But even within the paradigm of that, you still go, yeah, Jan beat a very bad fighter. But I, I see something from Piotr Jan that this is going to be a special fighter not necessarily at the time I wasn't thinking oh wow Jan's going to be a title challenger but you just kind of go there's just certain guys who make a UFC debut where you go huh I'm not sure they're going to be champion but they're going to be a problem and and, and and you know they're they're a special fighter like Adesanya you know when he made his debut versus Rob Wilkinson I mean I I didn't th- I didn't sit there I'm not so bold you know, sit there and go, oh, wow, Adesanya for sure is a future champ. But you obviously go, wow, this is a very, very talented guy. He's going to present a problem to a lot of people. You know, if if he's not going to be a champion, at least he's going to be a guy who's going to be in the rankings very soon. I I, th- I thought the same thing about Brendan Allen and, you know, and look at the tra- trajectory that, that this guy's on. Um, so there's just these certain, certain guys, you know, and then he goes on, he beats Douglas Silva, DeAndraj beats John Dodson, who fought for the flyweight title, I believe two times, beat Jimmy Rivera, and then uh, I, I recently watched, because it was one of the UFC free fights on YouTube, I rewatched the fight with Jan and Faber, I mean, good God, I mean, I, I know Faber is clearly in the twilight of his career, he was like 40, but, you know, Jan, Jan is very, very special, and you know, I watched a breakdown by Dan Hardy, you know, shout out to Dan Hardy. You know, I don't know. Jan is very, very, very special bantamweight fighter. I think he could be a champ for a long time. You know, you look at his output. If he gets hit, you know, he's throwing back. You know, uh, a leg kick and a punch and and, and all of this and uh, technical stuff that goes over my head. I'm not a. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm. You know, I'm a fucking purple belt or, belt or anything. But you know, just as a casual fan you know, he, he, he's he got championship material. So, again, first lock of the week, we're going Piotr Jan here over uh, Jose Aldo Jr. Uh, moving on here in the co-main event, it's a featherweight title fight. It's the rematch. Alexander Volkanovski taking on Max Holloway. Volkanovski, 21-1. and Holloway, 21-5. and Volko is the minus 235 favorite. Uh, and this is where the second lock of the week obviously comes into play. Alexander Volkanovsky is the second lock of the week. We are picking him to beat Max Holloway. And you know what? I believe Volkanovsky. You know, he said, you know, he won the decision the first time. I think Volkanovsky finishes Holloway. I think, he. you know, he was. he had 25 minutes in the octagon beating Max Holloway. Um, I think he's fully downloaded Holloway and I'm going to say he finishes him. I really do. Uh, his leg kicks were absolutely brilliant. You know, Max can say whatever he wants about the leg kicks and how he'd be a point karate fighter. Ah, I don't know. You know, Volkanovsky has a lot of power. Maybe Holloway is just a tough, well, obviously he's, obviously he's a tough dude. You know what I mean? But I think those leg kicks did, did factor in. I think they're going to factor in probably even more. And it's, uh, you know it's very impressive. You look at Holloway; he's five foot eleven. Volkanovski's five foot six, and yet, even with a reach advantage, Volkanovski, like, I, I don't know, he's just really good at like getting into range and just not taking a beating. You know what I mean? Because he's he's Volko is pretty much always going to be the smaller fighter when it comes to stature and reach in the featherweight division, but he's just so good at closing distance. Like, when he's throwing these leg kicks, he's well within the distance of, of Holloway's strikes, and yet he still landed, like, 70. You know what I mean? And obviously, I'm sure Holloway's been working on it, but, you know, on his interview with Ariel Hawani, you know, he said he didn't really do any sparring because uh, you know, the gym was closed, so it was a lot of Zoom interviews. So, I mean, that's interesting because you look at Australia and New Zealand, you know, they don't really have a whole lot of coronavirus, so I'm pretty sure they're just doing regular stuff. Maybe it was like some some coronavirus precaution uh, precautionary stuff, but but either way, I think Volkanovski wins, and I think he could finish him. I think Volkanovsky's a really hard puncher. Uh, you know, this is a former rugby guy, a guy who worked in the concrete industry. I don't know, man. He's he's pretty big. He's pretty big for featherweight. So you know, he's on that 18 fight winning streak. Uh, I, I think he beats Holloway. Um, Honestly, the first time I know Holloway was saying that he thought he won the decision. That is ridiculous. I think you have to be smoking crack out of a light bulb to think that Holloway won that first fight by decision. I believe it was 49-46, 48-47 on two of the scorecards. I think forty eight forty seven is kind of ridiculous. I think I think there's a better argument Volkanovski won fifty-forty-five than there is he won forty-eight-forty-seven. Personally, in North Star's books. I had Volko winning 49-46. I want to say I had Holloway winning the fourth or fifth round where he... Maybe it was the fifth because maybe Holloway finished really strong. Um, but I honestly clearly thought Volkanovski won that fight, and I think he's going to win it again. Uh, and then that puts Holloway in a really weird spot. I mean, I don't really know where he goes from here. Probably up to lightweight. But... Um, Although I don't, I don't know. I think at the time when when Holloway lost to Poirier, um, I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, okay, L- Max is too small for lightweight." No, I think we just realized that Poirier was just too good for Holloway. You know what I mean? Like, so I think actually Holloway would. Um, I actually think he would do very well at lightweight. I think. I I think he just ran into a very 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 elite fighter and we just didn't realize it at the time. Um but yeah, then he's lost 3 of his last 4 if he, if indeed he loses to Volkanovski the second time. I mean, he could stick around featherweight and you know, perhaps with a couple of more wins, maybe the champion uh championship belt changes hands or you know, I, I don't know if if Volko beats Holloway, it's real hard to make a trilogy when the when the guy Beat you two times prior, which is why Shogun versus Nogiera is the dumbest fight of all time. It makes no sense uh, to make that a trilogy fight. Um, but I don't know. I guess, it's a, I guess it's a talker for post-251, you know, the future of Max Holloway. But I think it is a discussion we're going to have to have uh, because I do think Volkanovski will win. And this leads us to our final lock of the week, the main event of the evening for the welterweight Championship of the World. The champion Kamaru Usman taking on the BMF Jorge Masvidal. Usman's a minus 280 favorite. Usman comes in with a record of 16 and 1. Masvidal with a record of 35 and 13. Again, just getting some of these some of these facts out of the way I find pretty interesting. Kamaru Usman on a 17 fight winning streak which actually doesn't make sense now that I say it because he's only uh only 16 and 1. Although maybe they count, uh... actually no, Tapology's just lied to me. So that's, uh... all right, well, that's interesting. But on a very impressive, oh, I guess they count exhibition matches. 17 fight winning streak, if you count exhibition, I do not. So he's on a 15 fight winning streak. Um, And then Masvidal, obviously he's on a three fight winning streak. Uh, Baptized Darren Till, baptized Ben Askren. And absolutely beat the living daylights out of Nate Diaz, who is a 500 fighter. I don't know if this is interesting. You look at Usman, he's always kind of been at an elite level. And you look at the resurrection for Masvidal, uh, completely different. I was very happy to hear him talk about fighters he has to rematch. Um, Now, he mentioned Nate Diaz, which I don't think... I don't think he has to rematch Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz was getting beat up for 15 minutes, and I think Nate Diaz would get beat up for another 15 to 25 minutes if they fought again. Um, but he did mention potentially rematching uh, Wonder Boy Thompson. Now, Thompson probably has to get a couple of more wins under his belt, but um, that's interesting because that was his last loss at UFC 217 in 2017. You know, And then he had the uh, long layoff, like the 14-month layoff, Actually, no, 15 or 16 months. And then came back in March of 2019 for the Till fight. This is interesting. I'm going to put it out there. My lock of the week, the final lock of the week, is Kamaru Usman will beat Jorge Masvidal. I think the hype train officially gets derailed here. Um, although the hype train is hype train's pretty real. Like those are, th- I guess hype implies that Masvidal is not a legitimate fighter. Um Although I guess hype, hype is hype, um, but three legitimate wins, but they are not necessarily top level wins on the level on the level of what Usman has been doing. So you probably look at you look at Till. Till was probably ranked like number four at the time, number four, number five. Askren I think was ranked number five, maybe. And Diaz, I don't even think he was ranked because this guy's not really a relevant fighter. And then you look at Usman, I mean, he beat the champ, Tyron Woodley. He beat the number two contender, uh, Colby Covington. Although, in fairness, Covington probably should have been the number one contender because Woodley got beat uh, very soundly. Uh, And then when he beat Damian Maya, Damian Maya was probably ranked like three. Um... So, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of look at it. Kamaru's been more consistent. There's you know there there's never been a resurrection for Kamaru Usman because he's always been a very elite fighter. You know what I mean? I look at the wins that Masvidal has, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but if, but if we're talking about the level of Usman, when we're talking about a championship level of Usman, like the elite of the division, yeah, Masvidal's resume doesn't really stack up with Usman's, you look, Usman's last four fights eclipse anything Masvidal's done his entire career when it comes to top wins. So if I take the four best wins from Jorge Masvidal's career and the last four wins for Usman, the last four wins for Usman are more impressive than Masvidal's four best wins from any point in his career. A a win over Damian Maia, where he mauled him, A win over Rafael dos Anjos. So, Maya. Maya has the second most wins in UFC history. This is a guy who fought for the title against Woodley. Dos Anjos, former champion. uh, Highly ranked. I don't know. We'll say like five or six. Actually, that's probably probably a couple of fights off of the loss to Covington. So, he might have been ranked even higher. Uh, A win over Woodley, who obviously was the champion at the time. Third greatest welterweight of all time behind... um, uh, GSP and Matt Hughes, at least when it comes to title defenses. I don't know. Honestly, I might put Woodley as a better fighter than Matt Hughes. Woodley's title reign was very impressive and Usman 50, 40, him, And then, you know, the, the win over Colby Covington, who, you know, was kind of the boogeyman of the division. You look at what he did, former interim champ, a guy who absolutely just drowned Robbie Lawler, drowned him. I will say Colby Covington's performance. Over Robbie Lawler is the most impressive 25-minute f- offensive performance I've ever seen in my entire life. Again, oh, he didn't have power. Okay, he wasn't throwing with 100% power. And I'm not saying Covington's a, a knockout artist, you know what I mean? Far from it, but you know what I mean? Like, just the the volume and the cardio and the output and the 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 mixing up of stand up and grappling and wrestling that Covington put on Lawler, a former champion, that was impressive. And then you look at what Usman did to Covington, so that's even more impressive for Usman. You know, you steal some of that, you steal a little bit of shine from each fighter that you face. So I look at Usman, there's no need for a resurrection because this guy's this guy's just always been, you know. I guess unrecognized, you know, because there was a point where he wasn't champion, but, you know, always been a really elite fighter. And and you look at Masvidal, I mean, I don't know, you know, wins over Cerrone, okay, that's a solid win, but I don't think that compares to any of the top four I just mentioned. So the top four for Masvidal are probably th- his last three, and then Cerrone. So I guess really his last four wins, he had two, two losses after the Cerrone win, uh, you know what I mean, but... Uh and then you look at common opponents, I mean he lost a split decision to Damian Maya. Usman mauled Damian Maya. You know what I mean? So I honestly don't I don't, I it's so tough, man, because I don't really know what to expect. I, I don't necessarily think Usman's gonna maul Masvidal. But at the same time, I I, I really do think that he's gonna Listen, you know. When you have two elite grapplers like Usman and Covington, it doesn't shock me that, that 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 turned into a kickboxing match because oftentimes fights between two great grapplers turn into a striking battle. Best example is look at Ben Askren and Damian Maya. For like 80% of that fight, it was a kickboxing match. You know what I mean? So that's just the type of the weird dynamics in MMA. Um, I think Usman probably... I think he probably takes him down a bunch. I really don't think he sits there and 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 trades barbs and and, and with with Mosfidal because I do think. Here's the thing, it's the lock of the week that Usman beats Mosfidal, but it wouldn't shock me if if Masvidal won. And I'm not hedging my bets because I'll totally eat the L if I'm wrong on on the Mosfidal with with the victory. But I will say, if Usman fights Mosfidal like he fought Covington, he's getting knocked the fuck out. You know what I mean? I I don't think that would be a smart strategy to to sit there, you know, and and try to completely kickbox Jorge Masvidal for 25 minutes. I I'm not I'm not saying Usman couldn't win doing that. I'm just saying I would definitely favor Masvidal if that happens. I don't think that will happen. I don't think he'll have a performance like he did against Covington. I think Usman. I I think he'll probably stand with him at times but i think the game plan for usman 100% is going to be if not if not taking masvidal to the ground a lot maybe getting in in clinch scenarios you know what i mean i just i really have a, a, a tough time visualizing kamara usman trying to stand 25 minutes with masvidal um and and it is interesting though cuz um, to to masvidal's credit you've never really seen masvidal certainly under the resurrection, gas out. You know what I mean? He hasn't really had a need to because he hasn't gone to the championship rounds. But, like, I don't see Masvidal as a guy who will, will gas out in the fourth or fifth round. It's a guy with really good cardio. You know, a guy who fought most of his career at lightweight and then moves up to welterweight. He's the perfect welterweight. To be honest, he's probably the perfect tweener. He's probably the perfect 165. Um. But it's interesting because I don't I don't think Usman will finish Masvidal. I think it'll go to a decision, and that's tough, man. Because if you are in there for twenty five minutes with the most violent fighter in the UFC, albeit against competition that is has, is not on the level of Usman, anything could happen. Like Masvidal, I, I think it's a very real possibility for Masvidal. L- l- let me put it this way: I think it's equally as likely that Jorge Masvidal knocks out Kamaru Usman in the 24th minute of the fight as it is he knocks him out in the 15th or the first minute of the fight. I, I think Masvidal will be very consistent because he, he, he'll always be dangerous, and I don't think, even if Usman grapple fucks him, I don't really think Masvidal is going to be a guy who you know is going to significantly drain his stamina. You know what I mean? I, I think he's got a great gas tank, so I think he'll be just as dangerous in the 24th minute as the first minute so that, that presents a challenge for Usman but I think Usman will overcome it I think he wins again lock of the week boom Kamaru Usman second title defense at welterweight he will beat Jorge Masvidal by decision at UFC 251 so again just to recap here the three lock of the weeks Piotr Jan beating Jose Aldo Volkanovsky beating Holloway in the rematch and Usman beating Jorge Masvidal Uh, Again, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, You can follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, YouTube. We got a Facebook page. We got some Twitter accounts you can follow at OwenElyMN and NorthStarMIN. You also can follow the Mailman at Owen the Mailman on Twitter. Um, Again, you go. It's preferable you go to our website at NorthStarSportsMedia because we have links to everything. I don't want to sit here and read off the. 75 character links that would lead you to the YouTube page and lead you to Spotify. But, you know, it's just two clicks of a a button and you could get to our Spotify thing, uh, our Spotify page, or you could just Google us on Spotify. Maybe it will come up, maybe we won't, but the links certainly work on our website. Again, that's northstarsports.media. Uh, we will have Reagan Hooverman on the show on Thursday or Friday. I'm very much looking forward to that and reminiscing with uh, the old hound dog about uh, the uh, the glory days back in uh, WRFW times. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.